I don't think it's an accident that you're here today. We've been doing this entire series called Real Love Now. It's three words that we've used to just describe what we think really our church is all about. We want to have, have a situation where people experience real worship. That is, you can come and be authentic and real. You don't have to put on a facade. We don't want you to get yourself cleaned up. Just come as you are. And you can really engage a real God right here. You really can. And we, we want to help us create an entire environment where we live out Jesus' words that we're to love God and love each other. And the other thing that for me just fires me up is we have a sense of urgency about that, that these important things in life, we consider them the foundations. You can't just keep putting them off for forever. And so it's real love now, that it now is the time to get started on the rest of your life and to pursue God and to open yourself up to what he wants for you. Now, it's not an accident that you're here today. So if you came with somebody, if you're a guest today, we are so honored you're here All we're trying to do is live out what we believe the Bible tells us to do as human beings in relationship with a God who loves us infinitely. And we want you today, for the next few minutes, to take this journey with us. I want to talk with you about another dangerous prayer. You heard a little bit about what Todd was doing. God, just whatever you want to do in my life. Here's the language we've been using over the last few weeks in this Real Love Now message series that you're catching the end of. If you don't know this, what we do is we pick a topic, and each week we deal with it for a few weeks until basically we beat it to death. And so you're, you're catching up on the last end of that, and the next week we'll kick off a new message series. But here's the prayer we've been talking about. God, would you show me your will for my life? The idea is that God has purpose for you, a, a, a real purpose. And the purpose goes deeper than just existing. God's purpose and plan for your life, his will for you, is not to just limp along in life. His plan for you isn't necessarily to make all the circumstances of your life exactly as you would like them to be. His plan, though, is to bring purpose and meaning and depth to where you are and to begin you on a journey or to continue you on a journey where he is at work in your life and his power is at work in your life and you are alive in a way you've never been. As we've done this for the last few weeks around here, you may not find it surprising. You may find it surprising to know that some of the feedback has been a little interesting. We, we use these things called connect cards that Greg took some time to explain to you this morning to get feedback from us. We're just a little too large to have all kinds of private conversations. Can't capture it all. So we use this connect card to do that. And some of the feedback goes something like this. Ben, I hear what you're saying, but you don't really know my story. I'm One person said to me, I feel like maybe I'm just a little too old. You know, if I had heard this story 20 years ago, if I'd heard this message 25 years ago, then maybe I would have a place to begin. But now there's too much water under the bridge. It's too late for me. Some people using their own words basically said this, Ben, you clearly don't know the story of my life. I have so much junk going on in my life. There is chaos Chaos, chaos. In fact, I thought they said, in roundabout ways, that when I walked into the building, that maybe it was going to fall down on top of me. That's why I'm glad you're in a theater. There might be a little extra grace for people like me at work in a place like this as opposed to a typical church building. And the idea that they were expressing was is that not only in some cases I'm too old, but I've done too much or too much has happened to me. Other people have said, then you clearly don't know what people know about me. I mean, you don't understand 
other religious people, other pastors or church leaders or my Sunday school teacher or my grandma, what they said to me is that where I am right now, God isn't anywhere close to me. And I, I, I can't really imagine me, given what I know that they think about me and how they've told me about me, I can't imagine me having an, a relationship with God, let alone understanding my purpose and place in His plan for this world. Today, I'm going to share with you two powerful ideas from God's Word that I believe if you'll let them take root in your heart, they will shatter some of these misconceptions about God and the plan He has for us. I think if you're already in a relationship with God, these truths from God's Word will feed you, strengthen you, build your faith so that as you face this world that will speak all kinds of lies and damage into you, it will give you a stiff spine. It'll lift your head, as the Bible says. It'll help you understand exactly how God sees you. And that will help you run this race, walk this journey a little more swiftly, a little more confidently. See, here, here's the big challenge. The reason you might think that it's too late for you or you've done too much, there's too much sin in your life, or other people have made it clear that you don't have a place here. The reason you might think that is, is because you don't necessarily think about you the way God thinks about you. Let's drill down for just a second. Do you realize that the way God thinks about you is radically different than the way you and I naturally think about us? I mean, it's just the truth. As a pastor, this is a fascinating study. I'm, I plan on writing a, a book about this one day, especially if I can make a little extra money and help us with a building campaign. It's the idea that when we think about God, here's what we think. We think that God sees us the way I see me. Or sometimes God sees me the way other people see me. But I got to tell you straight up, that isn't true at all. I mean, some of you might be here today because you're checking off a list. I finally went to church. I went to church again. I mean, maybe you're hoping in the next couple weeks your mom says to you or your grandma, like maybe she's done a few times, hey, have you been to church lately? And so because you're here today, you can go, yes, I have. And so good for you. We're really glad. But I want to tell you, beyond all that, we come into this place, beyond checking off a list or to make somebody else happy or to perform some duty, we come here because we're trying to understand what God thinks about us. And what God thinks about you doesn't necessarily match. In fact, it typically doesn't match at all what you think God thinks about you. Have you ever thought about what God thinks about you? When I ask people that question, you know what I get back? I usually get back what they think about themselves as they think about God. Now, I know that's a little complicated, but I think you can track with me. Most people think that God thinks about them in the exact same ways that they think about themselves when they think about God. But if you're a parent here, you can understand how that's not true. I mean, if you're a good parent here, or if you've seen a good parent, you understand how this isn't true because God, when He thinks about us, He thinks about us like a parent thinks about his children or her children. Now, if you're Catholic or we're Catholic in the room, you'll, you'll know this. Like, you'll get this right. And, and, and so here's, here's my question to you. When Jesus gathered his followers together and he said to them, you know, I'm going to teach you how to pray. What were the first two words of that prayer that Jesus taught his followers to pray? Do you know this? Go ahead, say it out loud. 
Yeah, our Father. Catholics are like, yeah, I finally got one right. Yeah, hey, hey, listen, it's good. It's all good, right? Yeah, it's called the Our Father. Now listen, in all the things that Jesus wanted us to know about God, the prayer begins with the words, Our Father. Parents know this. When I think about my kids, I don't think about their past. I don't, when I'm contemplating my kids, I don't think about the last time they disappointed me. When I think about my young kids, I think about all the life that's in front of them. I think about where they're going to go and what they might do and who they might engage and who they might do life with and what they might do with the potential and the skills and the talents they have. Now, every good parent, when you look at your kids, you don't think about them simply through the lenses of their last disappointment. You don't think about them only in the sense of how that they didn't live up to somebody else's expectations. Especially you can see this when kids are young. So Jesus wanted us to understand something about God. That God looks at us as if we're his children. And that changes everything. See, we live as if God takes his cues about us from what we understand about us. But it's simply not true. And what if the truth is God really does look at you as if you're his child? If he's a parent and he knows things about you that you can't fully comprehend yet. What if, instead of God taking his cues from you so that your past, while it matters to you, it doesn't matter to God in the same way? And what if your sin that has gotten you stuck matters a big deal to you, but it matters to God in a different way than it matters to you? And what if what people have said about you up to this point in your life, while it matters to you and it still rings in your ears, what if it matters to God in a very different way than it matters to you? See, God has a future and a plan and a hope for you, no matter where you're coming from. So I want to show you Two power-packed stories, passages about one man who experienced life-changing truth that changed the trajectory of his life because God's word was breathed into him and he grabbed hold of it and began to live it out. Two major obstacles that are common, not just for him, but for us are dealt with. The death knell is put over top of them so that they no longer are roadblocks in his life. And here's the first one. You and I, you, we tend to look at where life has been. We tend to look at where life has been. But the simple truth of the matter is, is that's not what God thinks about when he thinks about you. The first thing on his mind is not where have you been, what have you done, what check marks need to go by your name, and what X's need to go by your name. That's not at all what God thinks about you. And in the story of a young man by the name of David, in our Bibles, we get a beautiful picture of how God sees David, and then by the example there, how God sees us. David was a shepherd boy. His dad's name was Jesse, and there was nothing outstanding about his family. He didn't live in the capital city called Jerusalem where all the important people lived. He lived in a little outskirt town that you've heard of. And because of how you've heard about it, you might think it's more important than it was in David's time. He lived in a little outskirt town called Bethlehem. Now, in David's time, it wasn't known because it was the birthplace of Jesus. That's going to happen several hundred years later. In David's town, Bethlehem is kind of like, I don't know what town to use. Should we say Reading? Hamilton? I, I don't know. 
That's not a slam. I don't know. I don't know. I, in, in my town, you know, I'm from Cleveland, Tennessee, and we always made fun of Benton. You know, you've probably never even heard of Benton unless you went whitewater rafting down the Okoye. Benton is a little town you drive through. If you blink, you missed it. All right, so we used to make fun of that town. Well, that's what the people in Jerusalem used to say about Bethlehem. And David's family, they weren't wealthy. They weren't part of the in crowd. They were shepherds. They tended sheep. And in fact, they didn't even have a lot of them. There's this one little word in the Bible that David's brothers are talking to him. They said, why don't you go back and take care of those few sheep that you have? So they aren't wealthy. They aren't anything. And yet God had a plan for David's life. David is going to become the king of Israel. Israel had a king up to this point. His name was Saul. But Saul was more concerned about what people said about Saul than what God said about Saul. Saul was more concerned about his legacy that he was building than he was about the legacy God wanted to build through him. He was more concerned about his own agenda than God's agenda. So God said, I'm going to change dynasties. I'm going to start with somebody fresh. And he chooses a little shepherd boy on the backside of the mountain in a faraway little district called Bethlehem. His name is David. So God says to the prophet, whose name is Samuel, which is, by the way, where we find our story, if you have your Bible. 1 Samuel, chapter 16. You can go there in your Bible. The words will be behind me on the screen in just a moment. God says to Samuel, I want you, Samuel, to go anoint a new king. It's just a, a ceremonial way of saying, kind of beginning to identify who the king is going to be. I want you, Samuel, to go anoint a new king. So Samuel is directed by God to go to Jesse's house. And he sends word ahead to Jesse, I'm coming. And so he shows up, and when he gets there, he says to Jesse, bring me your sons and line them up in front of me. Jesse doesn't know that Samuel's there to pick a new king for Israel. He doesn't know that the destiny of a nation is about to change. He doesn't understand that God's about to visit his house and make a radical shift that will forever change the course of human history. He has no idea. So he goes out, and while he has seven sons, he calls the six oldest in. And he leaves young little David, the youngest, in an unknown family on a faraway little district. He leaves little David taking care of the sheep. And so the young men make their way into the house and they stand up before Samuel. <laughs> and Samuel knows what he's there for while nobody else does. And I'm certain that Samuel, when he saw the oldest son, who the Bible describes as strong and beautiful and handsome, I'm sure he thought, this is easy. The oldest son, clearly, who has the looks and the pedigree. I mean, he looks like a king. I'm certain there's the one. Samuel begins to engage the oldest son. And our Bible verse picks it up right there. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. As Samuel looked at the oldest son and the second son and thought maybe these were great candidates, but one by one, God is saying to him, not that one, not that one, and he's working his way down the line. Samuel's a little perplexed, but here's what God says. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. And here's our point. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at your heart. 
I mean, what if what you think about, when you think about what God thinks about you, what if what you think about is wrong? What if you've been looking at the outside of your life and what others have said about you and how you feel about yourself when you think about God, when God, what God is doing all along is looking at what's going on inside of you. I want to give you a chance today to let this little story from the Bible change everything about the way you see yourself when you think about God. I want you to let what God thinks about you speak louder in your life than anything else. As people, we have the uncanny ability. We are consistent in this. We tend to look at what's going on around somebody's life and we make all kinds of decisions and judgments about them. And I suppose to some degree that's perfectly understandable and maybe even healthy to some limit. However, God does not operate that way. And since, since God is God and you're not, maybe, just maybe, you and I should consider, instead of just doing it the way we've always done it when we look at other people and when we look at ourselves, simply looking at what's going on on the outside, maybe we should follow and take our cues from the way He does it and not simply limit ourselves to the way we do it. I mean, you know the two most important rules in the universe, right? There's a God. Number two, you're not Him. It's true. And the whole point of church, if there is one, is to let what God, who is God, while we're not, impact how we live this life that He designed and created anyway. And when God thinks about you and I, the Bible makes it clear He's not simply looking at what's going on around you. He's not simply looking at your failures. He's not measuring potential in the way we measure it. God doesn't look at the outside. God, because He's God, He pierces through and looks at the heart. So maybe much more important than what you think about you when you think about God, maybe much more important than that is the quality of your heart here and now. Here's the way I worded it. God is more concerned with where your heart currently is and whether you're brave enough to become who He called you to be than anything else. It takes a certain amount of courage to close your eyes simply to the external and to let the light shine on what's going on inside. And yet you and I will never discover our purpose. We will never walk in real love now until we let the way God views us and the way He values us and the way He measures us impact the way we see ourselves. You will come up against the obstacle of too much water under the bridge. You'll come up against the obstacle of, I'm too old. I'm too inexperienced. In fact, this is the most common response people have in engaging God. Every person in the Bible who was called to do something great, every one of them made an, made an excuse with the exception potentially of Jesus. Everybody else, Jeremiah, God calls him and he says, Oh, awesome God, but I'm too young. Moses, yes, God, here am I. Send my brother Aaron. <laughs> you know? Every one of them, every one of them is like, I don't know, I don't think so, don't know if you can use me, because they were looking at the outside, and all along, God was looking at the quality of their heart. And you got to get past the obstacle of only looking at the outside. And you have to let how God instructs and models for us to view each other and to view ourselves impact the way we do that. What if 
God doesn't think about you the way you think about you. And you are really important to him. The truth is, there's never been another you, and there never will be. But don't get big-headed about this. This isn't a testament to you. It's a testament to the God who created you. You are unlike anybody that's ever lived. But that isn't to say that your uniqueness in and of itself is the virtue. No, it's a responsibility. Uniqueness is God's gift to you, and your uniqueness is your gift to God as you drill down on His specific plan for you. Apart from your circumstances, and apart from what everybody else is saying about you, and apart from what you say about yourself, the way you live your life in response to your Creator is your gift back to God. God wants you to know something today. That He wants you to be you the you that you are and the you that you're becoming as he is at work in you. And you owe it to the one who designed you and crafted you and gave you gifts and skills and abilities to live the life he has put before you. You owe it to him. You owe it to yourself to drill down, explore, walk the journey, seek wisdom, open the Bible, pray, come to church, talk to people, to explore and pull back the hidden view. Open yourself up to see part of what God's plan and purpose for you. And I'd let you know, just as a a way of keeping with real love now, that while I think that's the most important thing you can do is understand what God wants for you, I think that too many of us have been cavalier and we haven't been as urgently engaged in the process. I would like to ask you to consider today to engage this process at a speed and with a certain sense of urgency that maybe you never have. Or maybe you used to, but things happened, and now you haven't in a long time. You are the only you that God created. And He has a unique plan for you. And He doesn't simply look at what's going on in your life. So what this means is if you don't live right now the way you know God would have you live, God would like for you to deal with that, of course. But He would like you to begin it with Him now. You don't have to get cleaned up in order to begin the relationship with God. You don't have to get it all perfect in order to start moving forward with Him. This whole thing is built on grace. And we nod our heads towards it. We talk about it a little bit. And we we think it's true in some cosmic sense. But it's true for you right where you are. So that if you've been walking the journey and you stumbled... God looks at you not through what's simply going on on the outside. He looks at the quality of your heart and He wants you to bend your heart back towards Him again. It changes everything when you allow the way God views you to impact how you view you. And I know it's hard because you and I have a lifetime of experiences teaching us about ourselves. We take our cues from our parents, first of all, and our siblings and our teachers. I had a teacher tell my parents once that she thought I was lazy. She didn't know I could hear the conversation. Somehow that stuck down deep in me. First thing I thought was, I must be lazy. And then I set my life for the rest of my life to prove to her and everybody else, I'm not lazy. So it should be no surprise that I struggle just a little bit with a little bit of workaholism and perfectionism. That should surprise me. I took my cues from the people around me. God would like for you 
to break that cycle. He doesn't want you and I to live in bondage to what everybody else says. He wants us to walk in freedom with what he says. David is about to learn this lesson in a large way. He begins the process of becoming king, living out his purpose, because God reminds the prophet, if anybody should have known this already, it was Samuel, God doesn't look at the outside. He doesn't measure it the way you and I measure it. No, he looks at the quality of your heart. That's what happened around David. Our next story, one page over in 1 Samuel 17, tells us what happens to David. Like, with David, in a way that he understands it. Here's what the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel verse 7, or chapter 17, verse 38 through 40. A little setup here. David's been anointed king by Samuel. He doesn't know what it means. And life just goes on as usual. A little skirmish breaks out between David's clan, the Israelites, and the Philistines over a parcel of land. And the Philistines have a giant by the name of Goliath. And there's a showdown, a battle royale waging right outside in the, in the valley. And Goliath is on one end with the mountains as his backdrop. And he's defying the armies of Israel saying, send me your best warrior. And the two of us will battle out. And the winner of the skirmish, well, that will be the winning army. Nobody wants to go up against Goliath, the Philistine. So David is told by his father, take some cheese to your brother who were fighting the battle. David's too young, he's tending sheep. Been anointed king, he's still tending sheep. I'm sure creates a little bit of dissonance in his head. Just a little bit of, what's really going on here? There was a delay between the time he began to pursue and understand his purpose and the time it actually, be, actually began to happen, right? That's normal. So David makes his way to the battlefield, and when he gets there, he sees that all the Israelites are huddled in their tents, afraid. Nobody wants to go up against Goliath. And his brothers begin to talk with him and say, go back home, you don't belong here. And David's like, where is the warrior? So he says, the little boy says, I'll do it. None of you men want to do it, I'll do it. And they're like, you can't do it. So finally, he, somehow he gets an audience with the king, King Saul. And Saul's like, well, I, I guess he's thinking, I, I don't know who else will send. I mean, we don't have anybody else, we'll give it. But here's what I'm going to do, Saul says, I'm going to give you all of my armor. I mean, you can't go fight this guy alone. I'm going to give you all of my armor. Now Saul, the Bible says, stood head and shoulders above everybody else. He's like Nate Turner who was playing drums. And with his mohawk, he's like nine feet tall, all right? And, and David probably looked a whole lot like I did. Pretty much a perfect specimen of humanity. And, uh, and, and, and so the, the, the difference between them is dramatic. And so he begins to put on. Well, let's just look at what it says in 1 Samuel 17. Then Saul dressed David in his tunic. He put his coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he wasn't used to them. He's like, I gotta, I gotta feel this out. I mean, if I'm gonna go fight Goliath, I gotta, I gotta feel this out. You can imagine he's wearing somebody else's clothes. He's not comfortable in them. And then he says, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. They're not made for me. They don't fit me. They're not mine to wear. They're yours. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. He'd been used to his staff. Not done much with the sword, he had been used to a shepherd's staff. And he chose five smooth stones from the stream. And he put them in his pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling, another shepherd's tool, in his hand, he approached the Philistine. You may know the story, you may not. David beats Goliath with one stone 
in a sling, hurled under the authority and power of God, right to the forehead of Goliath. And so in David's availability and in God's strength, Israel wins. But that's not our point. Our point takes place in the passage we read. David was discovering that God had called him and that nobody else's call, nobody else's agenda, nobody else's clothing would fit him. He couldn't mold himself into the image of Saul. That wasn't going to work. It would never fit. It would never be comfortable. He couldn't mold himself into the image that his brothers had for him. You're just a shepherd. Go back and take care of the few sheep that you have. He couldn't even mold himself into the image of his dad when the prophet said to his dad, call all of your sons, left David on the backside of a mountain. David was learning. He could only be him. And he could only be the him that God was developing him to be. And that brought David unbelievable freedom. It brought him unbelievable power. Now, this is not Oprah. This is not Dr. Phil. This is not feel good about yourself. In fact, I'd encourage you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. That's what the Bible says. But at the same time, don't believe any lie that says God and you, don't believe any lie that says God and you are hindered in the plans he has for your life. You and God together, they say. That's a majority. And it's all you need. And so David rejected Saul's garments. And you and I need to reject everybody else's garments. I remember when I was starting out in ministry, I'd watch pastors and preachers and men. They were fiery. They were good. They spoke with unbelievable knowledge. They were eloquent. People would flock to see them. And I remember in my first few days, starting out, knowing I had a call on my life, knowing my call was unique, and yet feeling very constrained to do it the way I'd always seen it done and to act in ways others were acting. Not in the bring wisdom to the situation and consider kind of way, but in the trying to put Saul's armor on me kind of way. Parents do it when they watch other parents. They, they seek less what God wants them to do in the pages of the scriptures. And they simply look at other parents who may or may not be doing it in any way close to God's plan for them. And they look at those and somehow it puts pressure on them to fit and conform. You know, we get into stroller war battles. You know, like who has the better stroller and who does better outings with your kids? And, you know, and there's all that. You know what I'm... You've, been, you've seen it, right? And yet God calls each parent to parent that kid according to the scriptures as God reveals it to them. Husbands and wives do it all the time. You look at somebody else's wife and you think, wow, or she's nice, or man, she's respectful. Or, or, and sometimes we, we try to want to make our wives fit, man. Another set of clothing that isn't theirs to wear. And rather than bringing out the beauty and the uniqueness that is them as they walk with God, we try to conform and mold them into something else. And when we do that, we bring bondage to our marriages. When we do that in our parenting, we bring bondage to our parenting. And when you do that with yourself, when you believe everybody else, instead of letting God's words speak louder than anybody else, you bring bondage. It's uncomfortable. Uh, the helmet is heavy. David wanted to walk in the strength that God was already building in him. He had already used his sling and his staff to kill a lion and a bear. And with that rudimentary experience and a confidence in God, David walked out and faced the giant and won. I believe 
you today can experience real love now with God. I think you can experience in this community. And you can, no matter where you're coming from, what others have said about you, I believe you can move forward with God in a way you never have before, potentially. I believe you can shake off everybody else's expectations. And you and God can spend some time alone. And you can walk in the same confidence David had on that battlefield while every other soldier was cowering in their tents. Now, I I don't think that it's meant to be just for him. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 that all the stories of the Old Testament, all the stories of the Bible are there to show us the examples of the way God wants to work in our life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that says, All Scripture, all the Bible is breathed by God, useful for our instruction and training and correction. So it's there for us not just to know it happened to Him. It's there so that we can claim what is ours as children of the awesomest King this world has ever seen. He's called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And He has put His hand on you. And He says, Of course I know what's going on around you. Of course I know the insecurities you have inside of you. Of course I know the challenge in front of you. But I'm God. Let me walk with you. Let me help you. Let me reveal to you. Will you pray, he says, a dangerous prayer? Will you walk it out? Will you say, God, show me your will for my life. Your will for me. Not her will for me. Listen to me, ladies. If you're conforming to a boyfriend, you're going to bring bondage to that relationship. In your marriage, if you're conforming only to your spouse's wishes, or if you're reacting only in reaction against your spouse's wishes, because sometimes that's the way it goes, you're bringing bondage. Freedom is found when you and I say, God, will you show me your will for my life? And it'll change everything if you'll pursue it. And then as he does, you make yourself available. You start it now, not later. Today is the day of salvation, the scripture says. When Pharaoh and Moses were arguing, Moses goes to Pharaoh one night and says, you tell me when you want these frogs out of your bed, out of the Nile, out of your pots and pans. And Pharaoh says the dumbest thing he's ever said. If you and I had frogs in our beds, in our pots and pans, if we couldn't walk without stepping on frogs, and somebody came to us and said, when would you like the frogs gone? You know what you and I would have said? Today, right now. That's not what Pharaoh says. Read your Bible in Exodus. Pharaoh says, tomorrow. Dummy. Idiot. I know. Strongest man in the world. Pharaoh of Egypt. And he's an idiot. And yet, you and I, if we were honest, isn't it true? Sometimes God is right there in front of us saying, I'll begin right now. You know what we do? We, in effect, we say tomorrow. Let me get this right. Let me get this lined up. I got to take care of this. Let me clean this up. Let me... And God says, no, no, no. Right now. Start now. Around here, when we're ready to, like, take action with what we've heard and sung about and experienced and felt, we like to capture that, be a little accountable, have people gather around us and pray about those things. We use the tool called the Connect Card. Would you grab that out right now? Let's take a few steps together as a congregation. The truth is, is I bet there's a few people in this room who need to begin a relationship with Jesus for the very first time. You want to open yourself up to a God who is destined to you with a unique plan and purpose. 
I don't know what it is, but I bet you could begin the journey with him today and begin uncovering it step by step so that 10 years from now, things are radically different. Five years from now, things are completely changed. I think it's, you know, in a matter of a few months even, you could see dramatic change in your life if you begin a relationship with God. So if you want to do that today, the way we do that is we check next step A, the, the box right there. There's a sign of faith. You put your faith in Christ. You basically are saying, God, I know I need you. I'm not perfect. The Bible calls you a sinner. It's not a slam on you. It's just the truth. You're a sinner just like me. God, I'm a sinner, and I want to make you the Savior of my life. Would you forgive my sin? And since it's not just about fire insurance so we can ultimately go to heaven, it's about life here and now, God also calls us to make him the Lord of our life, Savior and Lord, forgiver and leader. God, I want you to forgive my sin. I want you to lead my life. You want to check that box, and in a moment when we pray, you just say, God, take me as I am, and I believe you and I trust you. He'll do that. You'll begin a life with him. The Bible says you'll be born again and get a fresh start. Next step B says, I want to get baptized. I want to go public with my faith. I'm tired about what everybody else says. I'm talking about the fear. I'm talking about how to look. I'm talking about trying to keep everybody else happy. I'm going to do this for me and God. I'm going to go public with my faith. Check next step, step B and one of our staff or one of our volunteers will contact you. Next step C is a practical way you can get extra energy to begin uncovering the way God's wired you and the plan he has for you and what your unique thumbprint with him looks like. I want to join a small group. And so over the next few weeks, you get together with people who encourage you on the way. You build friendships with people going in the same direction. So whether you need to do a learning group or get, get around some good people who will encourage you in the ways of God through a social group, through a fun group, an activity group, you can do that as well. You need to serve. Some of us, our hearts are softened as we serve people. There are serving groups in there. Whatever you need to do, just write down the number. We'll be in touch with you. And here's the next step, D. Kind of the bold prayer I was talking about. This week... I'll offer my obstacles to God. I've been thinking about everybody else. It's too late for me. I've been thinking about what they said. I'm going to offer my obstacles to God, and I'm going to continue to pray, or I'm going to begin praying, Lord, show me your will for my life. Lord, show me your will for my life. Lord, show me your will for my life. Next step B. I'm going to make real effort to attend all four weeks of a real marriage series that we're going to start next Sunday. We're going to talk about relationships so that if you're married or not, we're married, want to be married, couldn't get married, whatever. Wherever you're coming from, we're going to be able to talk about principles from God's Word that I think will break bondage, bring freedom. So if you want to do that as a way of continuing to experience God's revealing nature in your life, do that. And let's hold each other accountable. We're going to pray right now, and we're going to sing to our awesome God. Lord Jesus, God, I want to thank you that you haven't called me to be anybody else. God, I want to thank you that you don't look at the outside like I do. You look at our hearts. I want to thank you, Lord, for grace. God, I know there are folks in this room who need to do business with you. They've put it off just like I have. But today, Lord, they're ready to say, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord. God, some of us are moving forward and understanding your plan for our lives. And today we've realized that we've been looking around us we haven't really inspected our hearts like you do for a while. We've been listening to everybody else and trying to fit some other mold. And it hasn't brought freedom. We haven't walked in power. Just the opposite. It's felt awkward and strained. So today, God, I pray that as we inspect our hearts and let you search us, that you would also remind us, God, that your view of us is the view of a loving parent towards his children. 
let how you see us impact us more than any other reality. Father, I pray that today, no matter where we're starting from, we would leave this place knowing more about you, knowing more about us, and we would begin to walk in power and freedom, uncovering step by step your plan and purpose for our lives. So that five years from now, 10 years from now, things are radically different. And God, I trust you to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think or even imagine about our own lives. We give ourselves to you, Lord. Show us, Lord, your will for our lives. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.